Hello and welcome to the Art of Product podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein and I'm here today with my buddy, Derek Reimer. How's it going, dude? Hello, kind sir. How are you? I'm doing well. It's an early morning for you. Yes, it is. Yep. I made my every couple of months pilgrimage back to California to visit family and uh, sitting here in my in-laws kitchen, hopefully getting good audio quality. <laughs> yeah, it actually sounds pretty good. Cool. Your mic seems to do a good job of, or you're picking good places of like not picking up much room sound. Yeah, I think this mic is uh, is pretty dang forgiving. So that's good because yeah. I am not. So <laughs> let's see. We're now three hours apart. So seven thirty, sipping my coffee, and uh, hopefully able to speak coherently. <laughs> I'm sipping coffee too. So. so what's new? Well, it's been a sort of light week for me. Uh, last uh, weekend, I went to Vermont to visit some family which was great. It's awesome to get out of the city every so often. It's crazy how relaxing just being outside and like hearing birds and seeing greenery is. Um, I forget that there's kind of, there is a bit of like a tension inherent in the city. Like I'm in a very populated area. So it's, there's sort of always noise and people. The aunt I was visiting is way out in the country. So it's like farms and red barns <laughs> uh, and it's just a different really different feel yeah and sitting in an adirondack chair and drinking a beer and watching the sun go down is uh, a pretty restorative experience yeah no i could definitely see that we um i grew up in the central valley of california so i come out here to the fresno area and it's just it's Agland city you know so miles and miles of orchards and country roads and quite quite a contrast to living in uptown minneapolis for sure <laughs> so yeah yeah. That. So that was nice. And then uh, Monday, I went to ThoughtBot, actually, uh, for the afternoon because uh, they had a WWDC viewing. Mm, nice. And so we, we uh, watched the keynote together, which was fun. You excited about anything Apple's doing lately? I am, actually. I am, I am looking forward to buying a MacBook or a MacBook Pro, still kind of unclear. But suddenly, I'm using my personal laptop a ton more, and it's a few years old. So I was like, "All right, I need. It. I'm going to get another one, a new one of these." And then I saw that the, they were expected to release new ones, and they did. So that's cool. Nice. Yeah. Although I went to the Apple Store yesterday, and they didn't have the new ones yet, which is kind of funny because they're shipping from. You can order them online, but like I actually mm -hmm. wanted to try touch one. Yeah, buying an Apple laptop is always tricky. Like I've I've been kind of in the market for one lately because um, you know I have my. Historically, I always just use my personal laptop for work when I was, you know, independent. But now that I'm at Lead Pages, there's company issued laptops. But if I want to hack on my own stuff, then I kind of want to use my own laptop. So I have my my uh, MacBook Pro that's getting a little bit old, and so I've been considering upgrading the hardware. But it's always tricky. Like I go to MacRumors.com, and they're always like, "Eh, they haven't updated this for six months. You probably shouldn't buy." So I'm always like waiting to try to time it just right. Um, yeah, it's kind of a silly endeavor, I think. It is, yeah. It's like, like I, I did wait, and I think the the changes are like they're using a slightly new Intel chipset. Yeah, that's, that's it. And right. so it's like, okay, cool. Like it'll be seven percent faster on certain tasks or yeah. something. Yeah. So it's like, well, whatever. Right. It's mostly psychological, I guess. <laughs> the like, I I need I need to be on the latest hardware. It's but that. It's the FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. I decided that my benchmark of choice to to like see what I uh, how the computer performs on things I care about is like the SunSpider JavaScript benchmark. Oh yeah, it like just runs a runs a bunch of JavaScript in your browser and tells you how fast it was. And I've realized I think that's basically the, the biggest the thing that affects like performance feel for me mostly is like 
how fast is it to browse websites that <laughs> use a ton of JavaScript? Yeah. Which is hilarious because that probably, I don't know, five, ten years ago, it was definitely not the case that we were like trying oh, yeah. to figure out how to make sure our websites render fast. Right, uh, exactly. Yeah. So it's a little sad, but oh well, I have a little a document where I'm like, okay, my current thing is this and the new ones perform like this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm deciding between the MacBook Pro and the MacBook have you held one of those MacBooks? They're like unbelievably light and thin and beautiful. Yeah, I have. Um, I've, I've been kind of bouncing between those two as well because I want, you know, I'm often biking now and I want to be able to throw it in my backpack and not have something weighing down my shoulders. And um, yeah, that MacBook is super light. And the like the, the bezel for the screen is, is smaller than I'm used to. So it's like it just looks like it's all screen. Yeah. It's really gorgeous. Once you go small bezel, it's hard to go back. <laughs> I yeah, realize yeah, it. yeah. I've heard that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we'll see. I'm sure nice. everyone is waiting with bated breath to see which MacBook I choose. Yep. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Yeah. So, yeah, I did that on, that was actually most of Monday. Um, and this has been an interesting week. I chatted with a couple different people about doing some consulting work for them. Uh, doing doing the uh, revenue officer stuff, pricing work. I had an interesting experience. So yesterday I talked with somebody uh, in the morning. And so he emailed me after hearing the giant robots and was like, this would be great for us. I, like, I'm super excited about this. Can we talk? And I was like, sure. We chatted yesterday morning uh, and talked for like a good hour, actually. And it was like, yes, I think I can help you. There's some definite improvements. Here's like the first thing I might do. Um, and it was a very good talk. And then I realized, I learned something which is uh, about myself, which is like, I don't know that much about sales. So I, I quoted actually a pretty awesome price, I thought, and then that it was like pretty high. And I was like, wow, if they say yes to this, this would be cool. And he's like, yep, yeah, that sounds fine. And then I was like, that's interesting. And he's like, now I just need to go talk to the founder and uh, make sure that's okay. Ah. And, uh, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've been talking to not the decision maker. Right. Yeah. Um, of, of course, that's okay, because you don't actually have to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. And which is like sales 101, I think. Yeah. Um, but not a thing. Like, I didn't realize it until the end of the call. And I was like, oh, okay, well, now we'll see. And so he went off and talked to the founder and came back this morning and was like, yeah, we decided we don't want to invest that much in this old product because we're sort of focusing on a new thing. But like, thanks for that idea. We are going to implement that idea you gave us. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Free Um, advice. All right. (laughs) Exactly. Although like, I I think, I think you have to have the mentality that like, you should give out free advice. And if people just use it, that's actually great. Like doing something good for this person today could pay off six months from now. And that's just kind of how the, how the thing works. And so uh, that didn't really bother me. It could pay dividends. I mean, you know, company founders are often friends with other founders and maybe they're like, yeah, we talked to Ben. He's super smart. We couldn't use his services, but we took his advice and you should hire him. You know, I don't know. These things tend to tend to happen that way. That like reminded me like, oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't done sales in a long time. I've, I've, I've even forgotten the basics. Also, it was interesting. I was getting ready to do the call this morning and I was thinking, so it's like the, the thing I quoted was um, pretty healthy. So it was like, okay, this would be like a nice chunk of change. But at the same time, I was like, I kind of hope they don't say yes. It was like this interesting push pull um, where like, it'd be nice to have this win and like a defined thing to push forward on. But at the same time, it's like I am that the whole point is like you're selling your time and flexibility and freedom and all that. And it's like if I did four months of consulting and what I, and the main thing I did was consulting, am I, am I going to be happy with that experience? And, I, and the answer is no. 
I think it would be fine. I think it would be good. But if that were the only thing I did, that wouldn't feel good. I would expect it to expand and be more distracting than I would expect. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'll just like push forward on this product and also on consulting. And like everybody says that. And so I just I think it's in practice, that's actually quite hard. Yeah. Are you are you particularly like excited about some other endeavor for the next few months? Have you like zeroed in on anything else that you want to be working on splitting your time with consulting or is it is it still pretty amorphous? I wish I had a resounding yes to that. My front runner by far is making that refactoring Ruby uh, refactoring for good to great course. That's getting a really strong response from people. And I think I could do a good job on it. I wish I were a little more excited about it. But but it's funny, I emailed Adam Wathen yesterday. And I was like, because he's been he been helping me on that, like, uh, sort of, I have a landing page basically ready to go, but I just haven't published it. And I was like, I'm having trouble pulling the trigger on this. Like, should I commit to doing a thing that I'm like not in love with? And he's, his, his response was actually really good. And he said, uh, you're trying to make a business. You should make something that other people love. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. that's a good way to think about it. Yeah. And he said, like, it, he said, it, it's easy to have a few weeks or months go by and not really create anything of real value when you're solo. And he's like, that is like going to be the death of your motivation because you're just going to, you're not going to make something lasting and it's going to feel bad. And then it's not going to generate that good feelings of shipping. And like shipping is what gives you that feeling of that you can do even more things. And so I thought that was really good advice. So I'm trying to decide if it's like, should I listen to that voice, which is like, I'm not as fired up about Ruby anymore. Or should I like push through that and say, get this thing done and out the door and that will like fire me up for other things. And I just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the right answer. I'm curious what you think about that. So the difference between the consulting and that, that was going to be, you're, you're going to turn the, the refactoring talk into an info product, right? So yes. it's, it's like a kind of a one-time sale. Once you build the product, it will hopefully be a small flywheel in and of itself and it'll continue to, to sell and you won't have to do ongoing work for that. So to me, that feels like perhaps something that is worth just pushing through and and shipping and then knowing that you're not going to have to be continually like you're not forever the refactoring guy and this is all you do and you build your empire around Ruby refactoring, you know? You certainly probably could do that, but like you could pull like a Brennan Dunn and be like the, he's like double your freelancing. Like he's a whole freelancing empire now. But uh, yeah, you certainly don't have to do that. You can just have a nice stream of income from this product that you build once and then you're kind of done with it, you know? Right. I can take some of Brennan's uh, playbook and focus on smart automation as long as I could find some sort of email automation software. I wonder um, who could point you in that direction. Info products from everyone I've talked to have sort of a big launch burst and then trail off, like slope down over time. But that's fine. Like, that's okay. Um, and I think the smarter you are about the automation and putting good stuff out there and doing a bit of marketing on it, you can actually keep that slope fairly flat-ish, I think. It's, it's honestly not that much of a commitment. Yeah. I think that's how you get pushed past the the fear that, do I really want to be doing this? And I'm not really that passionate about it. Like, you you kind of think of it as a short short-term thing, and then you can move on to the next thing. And I think that point of like, the win, the shipping and the, and the getting it done will help sort of build momentum. Whereas this, this phase I'm in now, which is like, which thing, which thing, which thing is like, okay, I don't, I feel okay about it right now, but I think it will fairly quickly become demoralizing to look back on my weeks and be like, what did I actually get out there? And I think shipping your landing page and you start driving some traffic to it. If there's interest, I think that's going to give you some motivation. Like if you start getting lots of people signing up, lots of people tweeting you about it, 
that's going to be your fuel, you know, to keep you going. So totally. And that, that works for me really well. Like other people's excitement is like, Ooh, other people are excited. I should be excited too. Have there been any other interest about the, the Vim stuff that you were thinking about doing? Um, not that much. I guess I got like four verbal yeses at that high price point that I pulled out of the air. So there was a lot of interest. People saying that sounds great. It's just too expensive. So my hunch is that like I just I shot very high intentionally. But like if I made a thing that was like $100 or $200 or something around there, um, I could probably fill a course of people that want to do that. So I think that's still a possibility if I wanted to go that route. And did you see that um, Stack Overflow post where they were like helping 1 million developers exit Vim or something like I that? I did see that. I did see that. <laughs> totally yeah. thought of you when I saw that. It was like so the me- metric was crazy. Like 80 people per hour are searching for how to quit out of Vim. <laughs> yeah. It's the funny thing about uh, having a bit of the uh, personal brand is that I got that thing sent to me so many times. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. Like uh, everybody was like, hey, hey, look at this. Look at this. And I was like, yep. Mm-hmm. I, yes. Yeah. Vim. <laughs> Um, the other thing is that I've been turning over in my head is I've actually been, I would say, overall, from people on my mailing list that I've asked about the things that I might work on, the Rails SaaS starter kit is getting a ton of positive feedback, probably even more than the refactoring course, honestly. A lot of people seem to say that they, they want to see how I would do things. So it's interesting because like in my mind, like it's an interesting product if I can get if people want to actually build businesses on top of it. I think I have to like balance the interest with people assuming that it's going to be like 40 bucks and they can just see the code and see how I would implement things and then like move on with their life. Yeah, you have to make sure that they that they're actually seeking the value that you're looking to offer because just getting a peek at like a thoughtbot developer's code, <laughs> you know, or whatever whatever they're thinking about it, you know, is not necessarily as valuable as saying like no no no, you, this this product is not just for you to see the code, it's for you to get a head start on an actual product, right? I'm realizing that as I do like sort of validation, I need to make sure I, I think actually including our price range is probably would probably be really helpful because when it when there's no prices involved, everyone's like, that sounds great. And then I'll like reply and be like, what were you imagining this would cost? And like forty nine dollars. And it's like, oh, OK, cool. I was thinking like a thousand dollars a year. <laughs> right. So. You either put the prices forward when you're trying to capture email addresses or whatever uh, on your landing page, or you don't, but you have to follow up immediately with some kind of question of to that effect of like, all right, great. So what, what would you pay for this? I'm not sure which is better, getting more people in and then asking them or just kind of making it a, a gate on the landing page publicly, you know? Yeah. As I'm thinking about this right now, I think there's probably an interesting product at the um, intersection of those two things I've talked about, which is like, I like a course of me building a SaaS app, I think would maybe satisfy those people. And then you get the code at the end. So the, the SaaS thing is, I, th- I think there's a sort of a renaissance right now of people, of developers starting their own SaaSes um, or, or just pe- people in general, startups, businesses moving into the space. And so I expect there to be strong demand for uh, knowledge on building SaaS apps in Ruby going forward. And so I think there's probably some interesting products in that area. Yeah, or at least a lot of people aspiring to do that. How many of those are actually yeah, serious yeah, yeah. about it? You know, it's, I don't know, a yeah. percentage, but. Um, I, I'm at this point where it's like, I need to just decide on a thing and go. Yeah. Um, and so far, the Ruby course sounds the best. And so mm-hmm. I think that might be the thing that I just need to get out there and, and get moving on. Okay, well, so th- this next week, can I hold you to uh, getting your landing page live? 
Uh, you may, yes. Okay, I will do that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Getting a landing page live, let's say. Okay. <laughs> Unless I come up with an amazing idea in the next week. All right, I'll leave you a loophole. I'll leave you a loophole. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not a big one. Something's got to get out there. So what's up with you? Um, I have a bit of a lighter update this week too. I don't know. I feel like getting ready for, for travel and stuff kind of distracted me a bit. But there was one highlight uh, that we did last week, and it was shipping a new feature called shareable workflows. You know, it was something that we suspected that a lot of marketers would use. People people are always kind of talking about what they're doing with Drip, especially the marketing geeks out there who are really kind of all in on on workflows and stuff like Brennan Dunn. By and large, what they do right now is take screenshots of their workflows and paste them into blog posts or, you know, write up blog posts about how to implement certain things. And they're basically telling you how to move your fingers and click the mouse and create a workflow. So um, we saw an opportunity here to basically make add a share button similar to a Dropbox share button on a file and uh, be able to pass a link off to someone and view a copy of that workflow and then click an install button and basically copy it right into your Drip account. So uh, it's been pretty awesome. We we kind of soft shipped it, which is kind of something we've been, I think Lead Pages as a company overall has learned that always trying to coordinate like a big marketing splash with the actual shipping of the feature is generally a bad idea because you know you end up in this this kind of circle of like, all right, development's waiting on marketing to be ready and then marketing's pinging back and it's like, well, now now's not a good time for us to push this live because we're in the middle of doing other things and you kind of end up in this like, back and forth pattern, wasting a bunch of cycles, just trying to, to sync everybody's schedules. Our general approach has been just to like push things live and not really tell anybody about it per se. And if a few people notice, then that's, that's cool. Uh, no big deal. And then, you know, and it also gives us a, an ability to, to maybe spot any potential issues if there's small bugs or something before we do the big, uh, big marketing splash. Hmm. So like that. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. We shipped it, and we initially did it behind a feature flag, and we were kind of testing it out internally. We've been using a lot of a lot of this feature flagging stuff lately to ship things. You know, tested it out for a week or so, and then um, no issues arose, so we just opened it up for everyone. And um, the buzz has been really positive. Um, people tweeting about it. You know, Brennan's already sharing stuff, and I think he has. I think he has like some paywalled content where he's already like, "All right, now you can." easily install these things from within my course. So it's really cool. Yeah, when I saw that feature launch, I thought it uh, seemed really smart. Yeah. It seems like a really good move for you guys. Yeah. It's going to help us also with our own onboarding, I think, because you know, right now when you sign up for a Drip account, we attempt to gather information from you about what you want to accomplish with Drip. So we ask you, are you using a landing page provider? What's your goal right now? Are you selling products or are you a blogger or do you just, you know, want more subscribers on, on your list? And so, you know, based on your answers to this kind of choose your own adventure questionnaire, we attempt to like scaffold your account with a sample workflow. So if you choose, you know, for example, I'm using Shopify to sell my products, then we'll build this funnel workflow for you. And in there, there's a goal of like making a purchase through Shopify. And it's up to you to then go in and like actually wire up your Shopify account. But we attempt to scaffold it for you. It's pretty cool. I think it gives people a sense of being able to visualize what Drip can do for you. But I'm skeptical if anyone is actually able to activate that workflow without much effort. 
because it's still pretty generic. I question how much value that scaffolding workflow is actually providing compared to the prospect of saying like, all right, we have a whole gallery of workflows that you can choose from. And they're very specifically named like, okay, you are selling products through Shopify and you want to do an upsell. Now, you know, you can just pick that one right out of the gallery and it'll be extremely catered to what you're trying to do. We can just go absolutely wild with this and build a whole repository of things. You know, oh, you're a lawyer. Here's a lawyer workflow, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, I love it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's kind of what it's going to allow you to do. We're also circling in on a refinement of this, which is the ability to actually paste in a little snippet of code right on your blog and embed a workflow directly into a blog post or something. Because you need more web requests. Yeah, yeah, totally. (laughs) We're going to hopefully cache some things so that uh, (laughs) I'll float it to the ZDN. But (laughs) yeah, Mm -hmm. nice. That sounds that sounds great, man. Yeah. In general, our shipping cadence is good. I think I talked about when a couple weeks ago, we had like 20 something issues in progress at once. The bow is fully cocked back right now. Like we we have a bunch of things that are nearing completion. And two days ago, we had like a great shipping day. We shipped like five things and we kept posting it in the support Slack channel, letting them know, okay, now this thing's live. Now this thing's live. And people's minds are pretty blown. And that's that's really fun to do. And I think these things tend to happen that way now Now that we have kind of more of a team built out and a designer working with a JavaScript engineer, working with a backend engineer, we end up kind of with a lot of things going at once. And then they kind of are each incrementally making progress. And then they kind of all get to a point of shipping around the same time, it seems. so. Hmm. You had mentioned before that one of your goals was to get yourself away from being a bottleneck. Yeah. How's that going? I'm it, it, I'm making good progress on that, I think. Um, I'm deliberately writing less code myself, which I think is okay for now. I'm always skeptical whether I'm going to actually be fulfilled fully from my work if I'm not writing code. But I do get a lot of joy out of helping facilitate my team. And like our productivity at this point is higher than it would be if I was just off trying to like crank through a bunch of these tasks on my own. And the quality is higher, too, because because we just have dedicated people now to each of these disciplines. And it's not like uh, design is not an afterthought anymore, for example, or, you know, the JavaScript is not like, yeah, we'll just hack it together quickly because we need to get this shipped. I didn't tend to hack things together myself, but then it would result in things taking a little bit longer if I was trying to, quote unquote, do it the right way. To me, it's motivating to have really good velocity and to have people really dedicated to their specific discipline and be a little bit more, you know, a little less full stack and a little more focused on their area of expertise. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes when teams get larger, the communication overhead can start to hurt things. It sounds like you, you aren't at that point yet, or you've, you've successfully dealt with that issue. Yeah. I think, I think it's like every person we add to the team, it, it changes the dynamic just slightly. I think one of our blind spots, honestly, is uh, making sure that, new hires on the team feel like they're getting up to speed fast enough. You know, I had some conversations with some of our, some of our newest developers in the last few weeks. And they're like, I hadn't realized this, but some people had some concerns about whether they were performing well enough because they were kind of comparing themselves to people who had been on the team for two years. And they're like, I can see these people like 
you know, cranking out two pull requests a day. And I'm still just trying to understand. I only understand this small subsystem of drip right now. And I just feel like I'm not performing well. And it's like, hold on a second, reset your expectations, you know? So I think like smoothing out the, the new team member onboarding flow is probably like the most critical thing right now. But yeah, I think our com- overall team communication is still pretty good. We're, we're riding with like one all hands meeting a week. We spend like 30 minutes on a call together and we each kind of share our, it's a, like a typical stand-up style, share what we've been working on and what we're doing in the next week. Everyone still kind of feels like they're at least aware of what everyone else is working on. Um, hmm. Are you doing one-on-ones with people? So it's not like formalized at this point, but it's kind of like I will ping people directly on a roughly weekly basis in Slack and it'll be like, hey, um, how's everything going? Do you need anything from me? You know, and I proactively try to do that, but I've tried not to put like a recurring meeting on anyone's calendar, if that makes sense. Because there's some weeks where I know what this person's working on. They're cool. Um, You know, unless there's something really wrong that they need to bring to me, which, you know, obviously making sure the team knows that they can always come to me if there's a problem is a must. But like barring that, um, there's some weeks where it's like, yeah, I don't think there's much for us to discuss this week. So we don't need to do, you know a one-on-one, but, um, I'm always open to like formalizing things as they need to be, but trying not to prematurely formalize it, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious how that works out. I think having a formalized one-on-one, maybe not weekly, but maybe other, every other week, I, I think that is pretty useful for uncovering things early. If you do them right. If you're like kind of aggressive about like, oh, there's really nothing this week. Okay, yeah, well, then let, let's talk about your monthly goals or your yearly goals. Like, where do you want to be in a while? Like, is this fulfilling in this way? Um, can be good. Like, maybe it's not necessary, but I'd be, it'd be interesting to see, like, if surprises happen, I guess, is maybe the best test for that. Where it's like, someone you thought was happy quits and tells you, I've been, like, not happy for the last four months. Right. To me, that would be pretty devastating, you know, and I don't, I definitely don't want that to happen. I, like ideally, I agree with you. Ideally, you wouldn't have that recurring event where like you have to do it, right? Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I know that's potentially a blind spot of mine. Is like we we definitely try not to impose any more process than necessary, and I think that's I think it's a good way to operate. But I also think like I have to be mindful of potentially losing track of what someone's feeling if they're not getting the proper forum to to chat with me as the team leader. Sure, you know. Um, yeah. I mean, people that get regular one-on-ones also quit. Yeah. So yeah. I, so it's not like a guarantee, but yeah, totally. The other cool thing that happened was um, we had the opportunity to sit down with a uh, a CTO, an experienced CTO of a of a software company who one of the folks at on the lead pages team is good friends with. Like used to work with him at a previous job, and um, so he was in town for a couple of days and kind of met up with the different engineering teams just to kind of talk through like, what are they, what are their challenges they're facing right now and see if he could offer any advice. We sat down with him and had lunch and kind of talked through drips architecture. And it was just, it was fun to talk to someone who's uh, been around the block a few times. And, you know, he, he offered some advice. He's like, basically like, let's talk about ways you could potentially shard the system. You know, do you split it into microservices and shard at the microservice level? Or do you, if you had an interesting idea of like potentially slicing the whole stack and just having like these different pods 
and different customers live on different pods. And like, instead of trying to shard the Postgres database, just sharding the whole stack. And so it was just like, it was a fun, you know, two hour long kind of discussion and brainstorming session. And I think it got us thinking in some new ways. So that was kind of cool. Nice. Yeah. It's awesome when, when you can talk to someone that's been there. Right. That's kind of the best, just inform, an informal discussion about yep. what, might, what you might do. Yep. So some, yeah, some, some interesting changes to our infrastructure, I think, will be happening. And um, I think I mentioned this last time, too, that we did uh, officially close in on a new hire for our scaling architect position that we had open. So um, he's coming to us for actually from within the lead pages team, kind of uh, became available and to shift over to the drip team. So, so that's going to be really exciting to kind of get in front of a whiteboard and think through these these problems with with someone who can really spearhead it so that rob and i can can continue focusing on like core product stuff that's what you're most interested in i think that's where we bring honestly the most value because like me personally i've not scaled something uh you know i've not like sharded a a large production database or like (laughs) you know the things that we're looking to do I definitely don't have prior experience with it. I don't doubt that we could figure it out uh, given enough time, but I want to shortcut some of the mistakes that we would potentially make. We go, go all in on this alternative database and when someone else who has experience may say like, yeah, yeah, you don't want to use that system because X, Y, and Z, we should go this route instead. Um, so I want to try to short circuit the potential mistakes that may happen. And I also know that like, we're in a position where we've we've been with Drip from day one, and we have good knowledge of the market and a good sense for where to take the roadmap. And I think our brain cycles are best spent thinking about that problem space as opposed to thinking about how to, you know, architect the back end systems. Totally, that makes sense. So, yeah, it's kind of where we're thinking on that. Cool. Well, I'll be I'll be curious to hear uh, what you decide to do there. Yeah, it's an it's a never ending ongoing saga. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, that is SaaS. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't really want it to end. Nope, that's for sure. Cool. Well, it's a good week, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think there's more there than, than I thought there was. Yeah, good stuff. Cool. Well, it's good talking to you as always. You too, man. Uh, you want to talk again next week and record it and then publish it out in some sort of RSS-based format? Yeah, let's do that. Let's call it a podcast. That's a terrible name, but let's try it anyway. All right, we'll, we'll see if it works. All right. I guess I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> do we have a sign off? We don't know. Uh, how, did, how did I sign off last time? I forget. I know you said like, well, we at least gave Podcast Motor a shout for editing. Oh, that's right. Today's show was produced and edited by Podcast Motor. Uh, if you'd like to access the show notes of this episode, you can go to artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.